whenever we're ready. What? <laughs> Just talk it. You can start with your childhood. Oh yeah, tell me, tell me your name and when you were born. Uh, Charles Tyler Petty. I was born in 1946, January the 6th, 1946. Yeah. I was born in Petersburg, Virginia. I don't tell many people that. Why is that? Well, Petersburg is not your best location or... or Whatever, but anyway, that's just a joke that I don't. I normally don't tell anybody about Petersburg. But I remember um, back then living on the corner. We had a small garden in the backyard. And I remember being in the garden with Nancy, my oldest sister. Um, she must have been keeping an eye on me, but I thought that was a a mighty big field, but it was just a little small. Lot. Uh, I've got three sisters. Ruth and Sarah are twins. They're the youngest. Nancy is the oldest. And Butchie, which is Roy Littell Petty Jr., we call him Butchie, I still call him Butchie, is two years older than I am. So there was five kids in the family and my mom and dad. Um, so we had a house full. Um, don't remember a lot about um, Petersburg. Moved from Petersburg to Roanoke. Nope. Moved from Petersburg to Norfolk. Uh, lived in Norfolk until I was 11. So we probably moved to Norfolk when I was five. Uh, lived on East Ocean Avenue. Nope, it was West Ocean Avenue. East Ocean Avenue is on the other side of Granby Street. We lived about 15 blocks from Ocean View, which is on the bay. And we would spend the whole summer at the beach. Um, my brother being two years older than I was, so I was probably five and he was seven. So he was old enough to go to the beach by himself and I was old enough to tag along with him. And we would spend the whole day at the beach. He was fair-complected but he could stand the sun better than I could. 15 minutes in the sun and I was burnt. And I remember going to the beach the first couple days of the summer and getting burnt up. And my dad coming home and taking a needle and heating it up and then popping the blisters on my back and everywhere else they were and then rubbing noxzema all over everything and then putting one of his t-shirts on me and put me in the bed. So the next morning I would get up and I'd ask Butchie if he was going to the beach and he said he would always say yeah I'm going and he always said well are you going and I said well I don't think I should because my back hurts but I'd end up going to 
anyway and get burned again. Because back then, the only thing we had was sea and ski. And sea and ski was an oil-based suntan lotion that did nothing but enhance the sun. Um, Why did you guys move there? We lived there until 1957. Why did you move there? Uh, Dad, my father was a, um, when he got back from the from the army in 1945 and before he went into the service he worked for A&P in the stores and he was a store manager in um, Petersburg at the time and then when we moved to Norfolk he was a supervisor so he had about 15 to 20 stores in the Norfolk area that he was responsible for um, which was kind of neat. The pet ice cream man who sold pet ice cream to the A&P stores, he put a freezer on our back porch. And he came by every week and filled it up with ice cream sandwiches, dream sickles, nutty buddies, whatever you can think of that they would put in a store. He put in our ice cream uh, freezer on the back porch. And so all the kids in the neighborhood would come and we would stand up on the porch and they would say, I want an ice cream sandwich. And we would throw them an ice cream sandwich or a nutty buddy or a dream sickle or whatever. And that's how we spent our afternoons and summers eating ice cream. Um, on Sunday, we would always go fishing out of um, Ocean View on the Budweiser, no, it was the Paps Blue Ribbon distributor for Norfolk. And he had a, a nice fishing boat. And so Butch and I would fish on Sundays with them. And the guys uh, my dad and a couple other guys with A&P and the Paps Blue Ribbon distributor would play poker and Butchie and I would fish. And before we, we left to go fishing, we'd go to, a, to an A&P store and get a buggy and load it up with all kinds of cakes and cookies and crackers and milk and whatever we wanted to eat. And they'd run it through the register and the the Paps Blue Ribbon distributor guy would pay for it all, but we would spend a day fishing. And that was quite a bit of fun for little guys. Um, Nancy went to Granby um, High School. Butchie went to Northside middle school and I went to Mary Calcutt which was another seven or eight blocks away from the house and I would always walk to school and walk home. Uh, one day I came home and Nancy and Butchie were both sitting on the front porch and mom was sitting in her chair and I said what are they doing home and she said they have poison ivy 
And I said, well, why are they not in school? He said, because they sent them home because they had poison ivy. I said, I didn't know that. And so I said, well, I know where they got that poison ivy. So I put my shorts on and my shirt. I went down to the creek and jumped right into the poison ivy. That was a big mistake. But anyway, I missed a few days of school, and that was my goal, and it worked. Um, but we ride our bikes all through the neighborhood. We would even chase the, the insecticide truck. They would come and fog the streets for um, mosquitoes. And we thought that was cool because you could hardly see riding behind it, but we would chase the truck up and down the street. And uh, thinking about that, that wasn't the brightest thing we've ever done, but that was just what us kids did back then. There was a, one thing I'll never forget. There was a um, vegetable truck that came by once or twice a week. And mom would buy uh, apples and oranges and tomatoes and potatoes and whatever off of that truck. Well, on each corner of the back of the truck, there were uh, red peppers hanging down. And uh, I always kept my eye on those red peppers for some reason. But anyway, one day I grabbed one when he was driving away, and I sat out on the curb and started tearing it apart and picking the seeds out of it. And then I started rubbing my eyes. That was another big mistake that I'd made and I'll never I'll never forget that mistake one don't steal peppers off of a truck but then <laughs> don't put the peppers in your eyes um, another thing that I remember about Norfolk well there's a couple things but one that we were we were a Chevrolet family if you like Chevrolet you couldn't stand a Ford and back then, they were the two biggest car manufacturers. And I'll never forget, uh, and I could, I could tell the difference between a Ford or a Chevrolet or a Plymouth or a Dodge or a DeSoto or a Chrysler or a Cadillac or a Buick or a Pontiac from just looking at the front or the back of them. From blocks away, you could tell the difference in them. And we were there riding a bike in the street one day in this black convertible with five um, sailors were coming up the street. And I said, what in the world is that? And then I said, that's a pretty car. And then I said, that's a damn Ford. And it was a pretty 1957 Ford convertible, black. Um, but the other thing was that when we were growing up, what we wore was very important in Norfolk for some reason. And I guess it had to do with Nancy going to uh, Granby High School. But we had to have the right shirt, the right pants, the right shoes. We had to wear the right kind of a belt. 
and all that changed from season to season. But we would uh, Why was that? We would like back then you had to peg your pants. What's that mean? Well, you tapered them. Your pants came straight, but it was called pegging your pants. Um, but we wore Gant button-down shirts, um, blue button-down shirts in the wintertime, and Madras button-down shirts in the summertime. We wore Madras belts. We wore khaki pants in the summer, in the winter, and we wore uh, cord pants, which are light blue in the summertime. And we also put uh, taps on the heels of our shoes that made noise when you're walking up and down okay. the hall. Mm -hmm. What was that for? Well, back then, that's what you did. Um, it, was a, it was a fad uh, that all the guys did. They wore taps, some of them on their toes and their heels, most of them just on their heels. And my mom got tired of pegging my pants, so I would get go to the the uh, sewing machine. And so I was probably 10 years old, and I'd run them through there, and I could peg them as well as she could. Um, but my dad, he made, for that time, he made good money, and he didn't, he didn't mind if we spent a lot of money on clothes. And he didn't mind us buying good clothes because he always say, if you buy something cheap, you won't like it and you won't wear it. If you buy something that you like, you'll wear it and it'll be cheaper than it will be if you buy a bunch of cheap stuff. So we always bought the best. And uh, thinking about that, if you ever want to know about the things that we did back then, if you'll listen to the Stadler Brothers or if you listen to Merle Haggard, 90% of their songs tell exactly what we thought, what we did, how we acted based on what their songs say. Um, and every time I've ever listened to them, I, I think back when I was a kid. Um, what about you? Which siblings were you close to back then? Well, I was close to my brother. He used to beat me up every day. That was one of his jobs, I think, was to to keep me straight. Um, and my mother... <laughs> My mother would, would tell us, he said, look, if y'all going to fight, get outside. I don't want you scuffing up the walls and kicking things around while you're wrestling around in the house. And I would say, well, he's going to kill me. <laughs> and she said, well, he's going to kill you outside. He's not going to kill you inside. I said, okay. But um, I think we'll discuss him a little bit later. <clears throat> Pause it for a second. Um, we were talking about Norfolk, uh, and I, 
It said that Nancy went to Granby Street, or Granby High School, on Granby Street. Granby is a is a major street in Norfolk. Um, so in 1957, Dad was promoted or given a bigger territory in Roanoke. Now, Nancy was probably a junior in high school when Dad announced that we were moving to Roanoke. That meant that she would miss her senior year at Granby. She was a wreck. Um, (laughs) We had a 1955 Dodge station wagon where the the seat in the back faced out the rear of the the station wagon, which was kind of different. Uh, but that's the way they did it back then. And so all the way to Roanoke, Nancy cried. She couldn't, she just couldn't believe she was <laughs> moving to Roanoke. Uh, and it was, a, it was a big deal between Roanoke and Norfolk. But Butchie and I, being the fighters we were, we were always, he was always hitting me on the shoulder and he, smacking me around and all that stuff, and I'd always hit him back, and then we'd get in a, a fuss, and Dad would always <laughs> always say, now I'm gonna, don't make me come back there. And so he couldn't reach us from the front seat, but what he could do was push the button and the window would go down the back, he'd pull over and come walking around, and there he was standing right there face to face, and we knew we'd gone too far. So we would hush up for a while, but Nancy was still crying. And so when we went to Roanoke, we took Route 60, which you crossed the mountain going into Lexington. And it was so foggy that Dad put Butchie on the right front fender and his job was to keep an eye on the yellow line on the right side of the road so they wouldn't go off the mountain. But Dad didn't want to stop because somebody could run in the back of him. So we crossed the mountain with Butchie sitting on the fender, directing, telling, his, telling him when to turn and when not to turn. So a long story short on Nancy, we moved to Cloverdale which is about 20 miles, 25 miles outside of Roanoke, north of Roanoke. And she went to Troutville High School. Now, Troutville High School was minuscule compared to Granby. But it wasn't long before she loved Troutville. She fell in love with Richard Simmons, who she's married to today and that explains um, the difference between Granby and Troutville and I'll never forget it that she was a she was a, a total wreck but it all worked out for the best and she still lives in Troutville so we moved to Roanoke, um, or to Cloverdale. We moved down at the bottom of the hill, 
and there's a railroad track not too far from the house. And we said, how in the world are we going to ever sleep with a railroad, with a train going by? But you get used to it, just like you get used to jets flying over this place. You get used to living by a railroad track. And then, as years went by, we moved to the top of the hill in a new house. And uh, Dad was, he wanted to clean the back part of the lot off. It was a lot of locust trees there, so Butchie and I were given the job of cleaning the lot. And so we cut down all the small trees, had somebody come in and cut down the big trees, and we took all the limbs and sticks and everything and piled them up. And uh, one Saturday, we decided we'd burn it. And so he said, Butch said, you go get the gasoline, I'll go in the house and get some matches and we'll set this thing on fire. And so the the pile was, it was pretty big. It was probably 20 feet across and maybe eight feet high. And so I got the can of gas and I started at the top. I climbed up to the top of it and opened the can up and started pouring it and just going in a circle coming down and got around to the bottom of it and put a little extra on the bottom. And I took the can of gas and put it behind a tree pretty far away from the, the pile. And Butchie came and said, did you put some gas on there? I said, yeah. So he bends down, strikes a match, and sticks it on the pile. And the next thing, he's about 10 or 12 feet back when blew up and singed all his eyebrows and hair and then he started hollering at me, saying, were you trying to kill me? <laughs> I said, no, I, you asked me if I put some gas on her, and I put some gas on her. I said, yes. And um, I, I didn't tell you to go bend down there and light it. And so that was uh, another reason for me to get a whooping. But I took it pretty good. And um, one day... can't think of his name. He's a big old guy. But anyway, we were cutting the grass, and we had a pole that marked the back quarter of our lot, and there was a yellow jacket's nest in it. And when we hit the pole with a lawnmower, they came out. So we said, we'll pour some gas down there and uh, throw a match in there, and we'll blow those, we'll burn those yellow jackets up. So we did. And we were cutting, we made a couple more laps and came back and hit the pole again. There was still some live um, yellow jackets in there. So this friend of ours, um, he said, well, I'll get some more gas. And he went and got a, a cup, poured some gas in there. He said, I'll pour some more gas down there. We'll light it again. Well, when he poured the gas, there was enough flame down at the bottom that it lit the cup on fire. And then he poured it all down the side of his his side and his leg, and he goes running across the backyard that looked like a, a torch going across there. So we ran after him and tackled him and uh, put the fire out, and then we had to take him to the hospital. Um, <laughs> and we had a few, after we burned all that, 
we had a few big stumps left that we were digging up. And uh, Bobby Lehman, <laughs> his dad um, and Pam's uncle, they had a big farm, Robert and Ira Lehman, and they had some dynamite that they used on the farm. And he said, well, I'll bring some dynamite and we'll get rid of those stumps. <laughs> so now, how old are we? We're probably 13, 14 years old. So he brings some dynamite and we put it underneath the stump and light it. And we didn't break but a few windows in the house, but <laughs> it went better <laughs> than it could have. Um, but we'd also, we would shoot birds out of our bedroom window. When a flock would come in, we would see how many we could kill with one shot, with bird shot. And we also would take Nancy's records and use them as skeet. And we would throw them up in the air and shoot them with our shotgun. And there was a few things that we did while we were living there on top of the hill. Um, one year we had a good snow and we took the hose and let it run all night down the hill to put a good coat of ice on it, which nobody could drive on it, but we could sleigh ride on the road. And the neighbors didn't like that too well, but... And let's see, we're living in Roanoke. Um, I'm going to Cloverdale, and I was talking about dressing in Norfolk. We had to wear the right, the right clothes. Well, my first day at Cloverdale Elementary, I show up in my khaki peg pants, my blue Oxford button-down shirt, my madras belt and my Spalding saddle shoes, black and white. And I had a leather bomber's jacket. And I get there, get off the bus and go over to the playground where they were playing basketball or whatever. And this big guy spins me around, grabs my arm, spins me around, and throws me on the ground. And the bell rings. And so I get up and hustle on off to class. And I get home, and my mom said, what happened to your jacket? And I said, well, this guy in the playground there threw me on the ground. And my brother, Butchie, two years older than I am, mean as a snake, he said, who was it? I said, I don't know. He said, you show him to me tomorrow. I said, yeah, okay. So we go to school. We go to get on the bus pull in the parking lot I jump up he jumps up the driver tells him you can't get off the bus you're going to um, to Troutville and he said I'll be back in just a minute and uh, so we're walking across the park of the the playground and he said where is he I said he's right right over there he goes over and taps him on the shoulder when he turns around he hits him right in the nose and he's on the ground he stands over him he said, if you ever lay another hand on my brother, you'll answer to me. 
So I never had any more trouble from anybody at Cloverdale. Uh, but that's the way it was. He was, he was mean. He would rather fight than eat when he was hungry. And he didn't care who he fought, where it was, or what was going on. If you crossed him, you were going to get a black eye or something. Uh, but because of that, he was an excellent football player. Um, he was our quarterback for four years at Lord Bodaton. Um, we were undefeated for 31 games. And the reason we were undefeated is that Pam and I were the first class of Lord Bodetot. She went to Troutville Elementary, and I went to Cloverdale Elementary. And um, Lord Bodetot was made up of Fincastle High School and Troutville High School. They were rivalries. They, they hated each other. So our football team was made up of two groups of guys that couldn't stand each other. And the coach would tell us during practice, say, look, y'all are going to kill each other. Don't be so hard at practice. Save it for the game. So when we had a game, we would just, we'd go crazy. And we, we were undefeated for, for 31 games. That's three seasons, or three years. And then everybody graduated, and the rest of us coming along, I would, my last year, we didn't do too well. But um, Butchie was a quarterback. And he would rather, I mean, he'll, he would hit you just for the sake of hitting you. And I say when we would practice, he would he would be playing, and uh, I was defensive end, so I would my job was to make sure they didn't get around my end. And if they were all going the other way, I would go back to the huddle or turn and go back to the huddle. And next thing I know, I'm laying on the ground, and I'd ask him, why did you hit me? He said, this is football. We hit people in football, playing football. So if you don't want to be hit, you can't be on the field. Okay. So I always had to keep an eye out for him because he was after something. He wanted to hit somebody. Um, so <clears throat> we were going to Botetot. Um Pam, my wife, was going to, well, the two of us met. We probably met the summer before Lord Botetot. <laughs> but her cousin, Sandra Sue Lehman, was crazy about Butchie. And Sandra Sue told Butchie about Pam. 
And so Butchie was telling me about Pam, and somehow we got a double date or something. And so, but I think we met at Troutville, which was a um, swimming pool there in Cloverdale. Not in Troutville, Travel Town. Well, something like that. No, just you say. He introduced us. They went to a soft top when they were in seventh grade at Troutville High School. Okay. She introduced us, and we didn't start dating then or anything. Okay, so I met her. We danced at the dance, and that was it. I met her. I met her in seventh grade then in Troutville High School, Sock Hop. And then we didn't start dating until we got to Lord Botetot. Um So, Pam and I have been together for quite some time, all the way through high school. And we got married right after high school. Um, but something, well, <laughs> again, Butchie's two years older than I am. So he was, he was dating before I started dating. He was going out driving before I was able to drive. So a lot of times we would double date. Uh, a lot of times he was going out with the guys that were older than I was. He would ask if I wanted to go, and I would always say yes. And so I was getting into trouble at least two or three years earlier than what I should. Um, but we were, we call that fun, I guess it was. Um, and while we were going to school, we would get home late on a Saturday night. And we'd come in at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because after we dropped the girls off, we'd meet the guys up at the drive-in. And we would, I don't know what we'd do. We'd probably be drinking beer or something. And uh, we'd come home. And on Sunday, Dad would wake us up. And we said, oh, Dad, we don't want to get up right now. He said, you don't know. I mean, we got in late. He said, well, I know exactly what time you got in. But you're getting up and you're going to Sunday school and church. You're taking your mom with you. And uh, the rule was if we missed Sunday school or church, we could not do anything but go to, to uh, practice, whether it was baseball practice or softball or uh, basketball or football or track or whatever it was, we couldn't go to any movies that week, we couldn't go to any dances, we couldn't have a date, we couldn't do nothing if we missed Sunday school and church, so we'd always get up and go to church. And uh, another thing we had to do that Butchie and I both had to, we had to do the dishes on Sunday. The girls did them all during the week, and we had to do them on Sunday. Um... Another thing, on Saturday, Dad would get up early, and he'd leave us 
a list of things that we had to do, whether it was cut the grass, weed the flower beds, weed the garden, pick the tomatoes, dig up the potatoes, whatever it was, sweep the basement. If we had some painting to do, he'd give us a list of that. And uh, he would always get home on Saturday about 5.30. And, of course, we were we would play baseball or whatever all day and come home and maybe sweep the basement and do a few things. But he, And then we would get ready to go go out on a date or go somewhere and he'd come home and he would get his list and he would start checking them off and he'd say wait a minute guys y'all can't leave because you haven't done you haven't cut the grass or you haven't weeded the garden or you haven't done so and so and we said dad we just take it we just took our shower and he said i don't care you can take another shower but you're gonna you're not leaving until you get your chores done yes sir so we'd get them done before we left um, but I would have to say, thinking about it, we had one of the greatest childhoods there ever was. We did things that other people couldn't do, and we really had a good time. And um, I wouldn't take anything for what we did, and I don't think I there's nothing that I would do to change anything that happened, even though back in the day or back in the time um, they didn't seem too good, but in thinking about it, they were terrific. Um, okay, so Pam and I are going to school. Uh, if there's any regrets that I've ever had, that is that I didn't try my very best at in school. I didn't try my very best in football, which I didn't like football, or basketball, which I like basketball. Um, but I, I, had, I had fun doing all that. I had fun going to school. Um, But anyway, I could have done better, and I. And sometimes I do regret that I didn't try harder. Let, let's say in in uh, in getting better grades than what I did. I um, I'm a C plus student that tries very hard. Um. But I could have done better than that. Okay, so Pam and I are going together. And we're going steady. Um, and we go all the way through high school. And we graduate in 1964. We get married. We graduated like on June the 5th. We got married on June the 20th. And Lori, was our daughter, was born on January the 7th. No, December the 7th. Uh, so it was a lot that went on uh, in 1964. Now, back then, there there was never, there. well, 
abortions didn't start until 1972, I think it was. And there was no question about whether or not we were going to have this little baby. It, was, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, it didn't even cross my mind. Uh, we had we had Lori. We were working. We were paying our bills. We had a new car, uh, a Renault Gordini. Nice little car. Um, we lived with Nancy and Richard for a time uh, before we got our own apartment. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't even think about it until just the other day. I was listening to a song um, done by the Stadler Brothers about you're more than a name on a wall. It's about a, a girl who lost her husband or boyfriend in Vietnam, and his name is on the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., and she had come up there to... Um, to sketch his name off of the monument on a piece of paper. And she said, you're more than a name on a wall. Now, back then, in 1964, the Vietnam War had was fairly new, but they were uh, drafting people right out of high school and sent them over there to Vietnam. But because I got married and had a, a daughter, that took me off of the draft list. And I was working full-time. Um, and every morning, about 5 o'clock, I'd go, uh, in the during the hunting season, I would go squirrel hunting, on um, mainly on Saturday morning, because I didn't have to go in until late. Um, and every Saturday morning they would read off the name of the guys that got killed in Vietnam that week. And there, here I am early Saturday morning driving up to the woods and I'd hear um, Michael Stiglish, which I went to school with, uh, or I'd hear another name. So I knew him and I knew him. And I never realized that having a child at a young age could have saved my life. I could have gone to Vietnam and I could have died or I could have a, a thousand things could have happened to me but God hadn't planned it that way. He wanted me to be where I was and where I, and what I was doing. Um, so anyway I'm working full time supporting a, a family, a young guy 19, 20 years old, and um, I was working for A&P, and A&P had a program where if you went to, if you took a, uh, a college class, they would pay for it. So I signed up for Cornell University, and I was taking a home correspondence course, and I took my first test and sent it in, and they sent it back and said, you you got a C plus or whatever, which, as I said, I'm a C plus guy, student. And then they said, would you like to retake or would you like to, to retake the test? And I said, yes. I don't know whether it was 
through the mail or, or by phone or whatever. So I took the test again and got an A. So every, every test that I sent in, I got an A. So here I am making straight A's in three or four different business classes, and I'm 21 years old. And there is a job opening in Richmond. We're living in Roanoke at the time. There's a job opening in Richmond become a buyer for A&P. Now, A&P was the Walmart back then. It was the biggest corporation in America. Um, when I say biggest corporation, the biggest food corporation, I know, not, maybe not the biggest because of oil companies or whatever. But anyway, they were a big company nationwide. And they had a job opening for a buyer. And uh, my dad asked me to, to send it a, a resume. And I did. And they saw that I was going to Cornell making straight A's. Um, and they couldn't wait to talk to me. So I went to Rome, I went to Richmond and talked to everybody, and they hired hired me as a buyer, the youngest buyer in the history of ANP. Uh, and we moved, Pam and I and Lori moved to uh, Roanoke, no Richmond. And one of something I'll never forget um, when I moved to Roanoke. I weighed 157 pounds, and within about six or seven months, I weighed 225 pounds. Now, the reason for that was that I played just about every sport there was to play in high school, and when I, uh, my, one of my first jobs was a meat cutter, and I worked very hard at being a meat cutter, um, and I was the youngest, so I got to pick up all the the sides of beef off of the floor in the cooler, and we had to hang them on a rail that we broke them down. So um, back then, you picked up a quarter of a steer, and then had to lift it up and put it on a rail that was six or seven, or well, about eight or nine feet. Um, off the floor, which was strenuous, and so I worked all the time. But let me say this before I forget it. The most rewarding work I've ever done is being a meat cutter um, because you can see immediately what you're doing. You can see you could you can see your accomplishment. you you work hard. And um, you can see what you what accomplishments you you've done. Most other jobs, you have to work and work and work and work and work. And at the end of the year or the end of the quarter or whatever, you can see what has been accomplished. But a meat cutter, you can see instantly. And uh, I worked for a guy by the name of Ernie Peacher. 
he was a he was a small wiry guy that worked his butt off as a, as the meat manager and one day i was cutting um pork chops and packaging pork chops and and just doing it as fast as i could do it and as the best i could and he said charlie what are you doing he said i said mr peter i'm trying to outwork you and he said you're not going to outwork me i said well i'm gonna try and we would work all day like that and we accomplished quite a bit so no you couldn't outwork you couldn't outwork ernie peacher because he had here i am uh with six months experience he had 25 years experience as a meat cutter he knew everything he of course i've i've seen him cut the end of his finger off and i didn't you know that wasn't a very pretty sight but um that's just the way i was and i i was that way in every job that i ever had my when when i went to work i would check out all the different people that were working there to see if i could outwork them and if i if i needed to learn something or do something or or do something a different way to be better than they were I tried to figure out a way to do that, um, and that's if I had to get there at five thirty in the morning, I'd be there at five thirty in the morning, and if I had to work until late, I worked until late. But there was nobody who was going to outwork me, um, and I guess that's because a lot of times I didn't have the experience that I needed for the job, so I had to work harder. To accomplish the things that need to be done uh, and it's always well I want to say it served me well it's caused trouble um, but I, I just couldn't I, I just couldn't do a halfway job I had to do it the best that I could do it well I'm not going to say I regret the things that I've done, um, but I always put my work ahead of everything else. And Pam, uh, and it's probably best that it worked out this way. God knows more about what needs to be done than I do. But Pam raised uh, Lori and Todd. And it was probably good that I stayed out of the way because my ways are not always the best ways. Where hers are the best ways. She she did an excellent job. And uh, I guess it's it's good time uh, to, to say, well, there's a couple things. There is nothing that there's nothing that I need to do or want to do in life that we haven't already done. There is, if I die this very minute, I'm completely satisfied with what we've done and what we've accomplished. Because our children and what they've accomplished 
is some of the, I mean, it's, it's unreal what they've accomplished. And I am so proud of both of them for who they are and what they've become. And I'm glad to be a part of it, but I can't take a lot of credit for it because I'm not the one that did it. Pam did it. And I'm, I'm glad that she did do it. Um, so anyway, here I am, a buyer at A and P. Was Uncle Todd born yet, or? Hmm. Uncle Todd, was he born at this point or no? Uh, yes, he was. He was born while we were probably we were probably there in. Um, in Richmond, for about a year before he was born. Uh, so he is three years younger than Lori. Um. <laughs> which was interesting now here here comes here comes this little kid coming along and when he was two years old i got him a dirt a dirt bike um which so when he had he'll have it when he grows old enough to to ride it of course i would ride it while he was growing up um but i'll never forget we lived in an apartment and uh I came home from work one afternoon or one one night, and then he was crawling across the floor, and I uh, somebody had given me a basketball, so I came to the door, and he was crawling up to me, and I rolled the basketball to him, thinking he would catch it. Well, he caught it right on the nose, <laughs> and he uh, it didn't go well with that basketball, and he was afraid of basketballs for quite a few days before he got used to playing with it. Um, one other thing, I had gotten a 10-speed Schwinn, varsity Schwinn uh, bicycle. Somebody had given me that. I asked for somebody to give me that. And uh, we lived on the corner of these apartments, and it was quite a bit of traffic that would go around through there. And so Todd was walking by then. And whenever he set, stepped off the curb, I told him he could not get off the sidewalk, get back out of the street on the sidewalk. And uh, he normally would listen. Well, he did, he'd listen. And a friend of mine that lived there in the apartments asked if he could ride this 10-speed Schwinn. And I said, yeah. And so he rode it around the block and uh, when he came back around the block, Todd was standing in the middle of the sidewalk, and it was time for him to stop, but he'd never ridden a bicycle that had handbrakes on it, so he was not gripping the handbrakes right, but anyway, to make a long story short, he ran over Todd. And so I pick him up and start brushing him off, and he had tire prints all up, and down, uh, up his back, and he said, I was on the sidewalk, I wasn't in the street, and I got run over. <laughs> but, so, um, anyway, so here I am, a buyer at A&P, and working hard, and I normally worked 12, 16 hours a day, five, six days a week, and some on Sundays. 
Um, but that's what I had to do to do the job that needed to be done. Now, most people didn't do the job, didn't do the entire job that they needed to be done. Um, I tried to do whatever was there to do. And if they laid off somebody, they normally would give me their job to do because they knew that I would work as hard as I could to accomplish it, which was a, a drawback of trying to, to trying to do things the best you can. Um, but I learned a lot, get made decent money, um, worked hard. Um, one thing that I don't want to leave out, when Lori was one or two years old, she's probably one year old, Pam said, you need to take your daughter to church. And I said, okay, I'll take you and Lori to church. I'll go practice golf, hit a few balls on a Sunday, and then come by and pick you up and bring you home. She said, no, that's not what I said. She said, you need to take your daughter to church. And so after a few weeks of that, I decided, okay, I'm going. And I went to um, critique the speaker is what I what I said I was doing. And uh, so no matter who was speaking, I would listen just to see if I could criticize what they were saying. And I did that for, for years. And one day, we were living in Mechanicsville in our first house that we got. And I came home, and Todd and Lori were in the backyard, in the middle of the backyard, sitting on the ground praying. And I went up to them and I said, what, what are you all doing? And they said, we're, we're praying, we're thanking God for good report cards. They both got straight A's, that report card. And they were praying. And, and at that very minute, I thought, well, there's more to this than that I'm thinking it is. And from that day to this day, I changed my whole attitude about going to church, about studying the Bible, about listening to God. So I got married at a young age, had children at a young age, and my children taught me more or a great deal about what I know today, I learned from them. Um, they have been a, a blessing to me. Lori went off to uh, Virginia Tech and uh, got an excellent education. She worked hard for education. She uh, immediately joined a prayer group um, there at her church and became very active in studying her Bible. Uh, one day she called and said, Dad, are you coming? Or she said, Dad, I'm coming home this Friday. There's something I want to talk to you about. I said, okay. So she came home, and when I got home from work about 5.30, she was there at the kitchen table, the dining room table, with her Bible open, 
and she said, I want to go over some of the things that I've been studying at Virginia Tech. And it was all about her Bible classes. And uh, back then, I didn't take it as seriously as I do now, but she, um, I, well, she knew a whole lot more about it than I did and um, dealt with things a whole lot different than I did. She and I are of the same personality, let's say. And she was able to control her thoughts and expressions a whole lot better than I could. And it was because of Jesus uh, and her, she knew that she knew needed not to talk back or to fight, which it took, well, it's taken me a long time to realize that that's the best way to do it. And I could, I could see in, in the conversations that we had when I would say something, it would upset her to no end, and she would fight her not to flare up and, and fight back. Um, and let me say one thing about Todd, too. Todd is probably the nicest guy I've ever met. Uh, he's the kindest person I've ever met. Um, we'd, when he was in high school, making straight A's, taking advanced courses at University of Richmond, um, I asked him, I said, where are you going to college? He said, oh, Dad, he said, I can't wait to go to, to Richmond. He said, I love that place. And I said, okay. I said, you're... Mother and I will pay for whatever it takes for you to go to Virginia. You pay the difference between your tuition at Virginia and your tuition at uh, Richmond. He said, okay, that sounds good. So a couple weeks later, I asked him, I said, where are you going to college? He said, oh, Dad, he said, I can't wait to go to Virginia. Uh, he figured out that the, the cost was about double and that, um, I told him, I said, you can't get a better education than Virginia. So we went off to Virginia. Um, he's in pre-med. I said, why are you taking, are you going to be a doctor? He said, I don't think so. I said, why are you taking pre-med? He said, it's the toughest course that I can think of that I would be interested in. And he said, I don't want to take a course um, and not try the best I can. And uh, I said, well, where did you figure that out? He said, well, in Sunday school, for the last six weeks, we've been studying careers, and they, the, the class or the curriculum said that if you don't do the best you can, one day you'll wake up and regret that you didn't try harder. He said, I never want to wake up and regret that I didn't try harder. So I'm going to take pre-med. So his first year... He gets a B, B average, uh, which is unheard of, uh, to get into med school. And I said, well, how in the world are you going to get into med school? And he said, well, 
he said, I've got to do really well in the next three years. And he was giving me all the facts and figures on how what kind of grades he'd have to make. He said, but you know, Dad, I said, what's that? He said, I had a hell of a good time. I said, I bet you you did. And from then on, he made better grades. And so he graduates from uh, Virginia. And uh, I said, what are you going to do now? He said, well, Dad, he said, I can either do something uh, to make money or do something I love to do. And I said, what do you love to do? He said, I love to fish. I said, well, ain't no money in fishing. I said, what kind of fishing? He said, trout fishing. I said, well, I know there's no money in trout fishing. He said, I know. He said, I got to be a professor so I can study trout. So he worked, he worked 10 months for the state of Virginia in fisheries. And he did that, he said, so that he could, he could see where Virginia set off their samples to be studied. And uh, most of them were sent to Virginia Tech. Others were sent to University of Arizona or, or somewhere or Florida or whatever. So he went to Virginia Tech to see if they had any scholarships, and they didn't have anything. So then he visited two or three other colleges, and he went to Georgia. And Georgia said, we'll give you your master's and your doctorate if you'll come here. So he went down there, and he worked, uh, made money while he was in school, plus they paid all his expenses uh, for his master's and his doctorate. Another reason he wanted to go to Virginia Tech is that he married Trish, who lived in Bluefield, Virginia, and that way he'd be close to Trish. Uh, and so he's living in Athens, Georgia, driving back every other weekend to see Trish in Bluefield. And he said, Dad, he said, wouldn't it be easier if I just got married uh, rather than driving back and forth? I said, well, I think so. So they got married in Bluefield on June the 20th, the same anniversary as our anniversary. And uh, while we were in the receiving line or whatever, he hands me a card, uh, an anniversary card. And inside were two tickets to the um, Atlanta Braves and an invitation. It said, this is an invitation for you and Mom to join Trish and I in our new home in Athens. And while in my house, you'll do as I say. I said, goodness gracious, he got me on the first opportunity. But that's what I would basically, when we'd have a conversation, and, and it didn't go the way he wanted it, I'd say, well, as long as you're living in my house, you're going to do it the way I want it done. Although that we didn't have to do that very often, but whatever I told him, it stuck. Um, so he... <laughs> One other thing he said about his, his uh, doing something he loves to do, he said the only thing that would change that is if I married a woman that told me I had to make more money. Uh, but Trish was working, um, making good money. So between the two of them, they've made a good living in um, the educational business. Um. One other thing about 
Todd. One day, well, one summer, we were down here at Virginia Beach staying in Ann's house there in uh, um, Croatan. And they were living in a little house in um, Morgantown. Well, it wasn't a little house. It was a house built in 1910 by one of the old, one of the coal barons up there. So it was a nice old house, but it didn't have any yard. And he had uh, his two boys, Charlie and, and Jeff, and they didn't have anything place to play. So they wanted to buy a, a bigger house on uh, a big lot or a big have a big yard. And they bought a uh, house with eight acres on top of a hill outside of Morgantown and while they were in uh, they looked at it on the way down here to Virginia Beach and then they signed a contract and faxed it back so this must have been uh, in 2008 and uh, so they owned a house and let's let's say it's four hundred thousand dollars and they were buying a house for five hundred thousand dollars and that weekend, while they were down here, the housing market went kaput, and uh, nothing was moving. So here they are. They got a house in uh, downtown Morgantown and a house outside Morgantown making two payments on two houses. And he was at wit's end about how to... Um, take care of all that and so here it is now it's april and um by then so this was this was probably july to april that he was making two payments and a lady from pittsburgh had grandchildren in morgantown and she didn't like to come to Morgantown to visit her grandchildren and stay in their house for any length of time. So she bought the house there in Morgantown uh, probably in February or whatever. So he was uh, out from under the two houses. But it changed the whole way he looked at things because, um, well, just about bankrupt him. So anyway, he said, Dad, are you coming to Morgantown this weekend for so-and-so's birthday? And I said, yeah. He said, well, I got something I want to tell you. So the rest of the week, I'm wondering, what in the world does he want to tell me? So we drive up there. And so we're going to Lowe's to pick up a ride lawnmower uh, to cut this big yard he's got. He's got a tremendous, got a football field worth of grass. And uh, so I said, what did you want to tell me? He said, well, Dad, uh, you and Mom took me to Sunday school and church every Sunday. He said, you told, you told me um, or teach me how to, to read my Bible and to pray. And I left and went to Virginia and I never once asked God, what did he want me to do? He said, I spent 12 years without any guidance from God. 
He said, I was in church, and, and to give you the rest of the story, Jeff back then was six or seven years old, and he wanted to go to church. And they found a church, that uh, very popular church there in Morgantown with the, with the university or West Virginia University students. And they started attending the church. And uh, Todd was going each Sunday. And he said the preacher was preaching on revelations where you're neither hot nor cold. I want to spew you out of my mouth. He said he put it in such a way that I either had to recommit myself to the Lord or get up and never come back to church again. I said, what'd you do? He said, I sold out completely. He said, he said, I'll never even tie my shoes without asking God about how he wants me to do it. He said, I've wasted 13 years of my life. Everything I did, I tried to do on my own. I wanted to get from point A to point B, and I wanted to do it myself. He said, and that was a big mistake. He said, I'll never make that mistake again. And I, I thought to myself, and I may have told him, I said, I don't know what a billion dollars looks like, but I know what a billion dollars feels like. I said, here's a kid that went through public school all those years, but didn't lose his love for God. And most kids are taught just the opposite. Um, and Lori, like I say, she went off to school and grew in the Lord tremendously. Now, I've had, I've, as I was saying earlier, I've worked very hard. And I, I too have tried to do it on my own. Uh, the last full-time job that I had, I was working about um, 250, 300 different um, employees that I was responsible for to get different projects done in grocery stores. And um, for an example, I would have to set up a, um, a reset or a remodel for a... Um, Walmart, let's say in West Virginia somewhere, and here I am in, in Richmond, and I'd have to have six people show up on Monday, the week after the New Year's, for a uh, big reset. And I'd get a call like on Christmas Eve saying from somebody saying that I can't make it there. You'll have to find somebody else to take my place. And that was difficult. Um, but I learned, I learned to pray and ask God to help me. And he would always, I mean, I would call and call and call and couldn't find anybody. And then somebody would call and say, hey, I understand you got a big job covered up so-and-so. Can I help? And I would say, well, sure. And um, it was all because 
I prayed. And even today, if um, I'm doing something in the garage and it's not going well and this won't fit and that won't fit, if I'll just stop and pray, things seem to go much better. When when um, Lori and Todd both went off to college, uh, they would they would call up and say, my books haven't come in, my class hadn't started, I haven't gotten this done, my clothes need to be cleaned, I've got more that I can do, and Pam would tell them, pray about it. And they'd com continue to complain. She said, well, pray about it, then call me back and let me know. And a couple of days later, they would call back and say, everything's fine. This all been done, so-and-so did my clothes, my, my book, they came out with another book, which was available, and everything's fine. Um, so here we are living in Virginia Beach, greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, we left our home in Mechanicsville, and some everybody asked me, do I miss it? And I guess the answer is a little bit. Um, there's some things about living there that I do miss, but most of all, I just enjoy being down here where we have less yard, it less upkeep uh, and more fun. So that's it. That's the history. You're done talking? I think so. You didn't talk much about the cancer, though. Well, Mechanicsville, um, I've got a thumb drive here somewhere that shows all the pictures that the the realtor took um, to put on the internet to sell the house and um, that brings back quite a few memories I mean we had we had the place looking good when we sold it and um, like the work I'm doing down in the garage right now on that tricycle um, would have been a whole lot easier to do in that big garage that I had and all the tools that I had before I got rid of them to move down here would have been nice to have. But those, those days are over, and um, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed living there. But I enjoy living here in, in Virginia Beach as well. And that should be a wrap.